So we've been looking at the book of James. We are now coming into chapter 3. Let me just remind you that James is all about spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. So if you want to be a spiritually mature person, then James is going to be very helpful to you. We've already seen in chapter 1 the the first characteristic of a mature Christian. May I remind you that uh, James 1 tells us you are to be patient in all of your troubles. So a mature Christian is patient in trouble. Chapter 2 tells us that a mature Christian practices the truth. You don't just know the truth, you do something with it. And so we we now come to chapter 3 here. James is going to give us a third characteristic of spiritual maturity. What does a spiritually mature believer look like and talk like and act like? Well, we're going to see that the spiritually mature believer has power over his or her tongue. So let's see the words of the living God here from uh, James 3, verse 1. Follow along as I read, please. James 1, 3, 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So I propose to you today from this text that God wants you to control your tongue. God wants you to control your tongue. A lot to say about our tongue here. So what can we learn from this particular text? Well, number one, Uh, We see that the tongue needs to be controlled to start with. It needs to be controlled. God gives us a command here in chapter 3. You you see it right there in verse 1. What is the command? It is, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers. Notice he's talking to brothers. He's talking to the brethren, talking to the Christians in the church here. 
And by the way, this is not an attack upon the office of the local church, the office we call pastor, teacher, or or elder. And it's interesting because James has already identified himself as one of them. So what is he doing? Well, he's, he's seeking to restrain this rush of people to become teachers. Uh, even people who are not even qualified. That's more what he's concerned about here. And so James does not mean to discourage people from communicating scriptural insights to other people. All right? uh, nor does he want to hinder in, in any way those who are actually genuinely called to the office of pastor-teacher to, to actually become an official teacher of the Word of God. But what he is saying, rather, that that those who believe they have this divine calling on their life need to first be tested, particularly in their faith, to be sure that they're actually saved. You need to be a part of the brethren in order to be able to teach God's Word. He's already made this this idea clear, by the way, in chapter 1, verse 26, when he said, if anybody or anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Worthless. And if that principle applies to everybody in the church, which it does, well then how much more does it apply to teachers who presume to stand up, particularly in the local church, before God's people and attempt to interpret and explain God's Word. Dangerous. So there's a command you need to understand, but notice the second question I've got in your notes there is, why then is this important for us to control the tongue? Well, the first reason God gives you here is in verse 1, because the first reason is this, friends, that there is such a thing as divine judgment. There is divine judgment. In fact, there's a stricter judgment for Christian teachers. And so teachers, by the way, come in many forms. Right? You don't have to hold the office of pastor uh, to be a teacher. If you're a parent, guess what? If you're a parent, Christian parent, and you have children, you are a God-ordained teacher. You are a teacher. You are the, in fact, you are the primary teacher of your children. You should be teaching your children. Uh, I mean, my wife's in there right now teaching one of our children. She's a teacher in this local church, so this this would apply to her. If you are involved in discipling some other people or anybody, then you're a teacher. Uh, If you're a counselor, that would make you a teacher. If you're an elder, you're a teacher. If you're a pastor, you're a teacher. So in other words, you see there's many ways and shapes and forms that this could take place. So what is a Stricter judgment. And, and why a stricter judgment, you say? Well, if, if you actually claim to have full knowledge of the Bible, which I don't, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I don't know everything, but um, I suppose there might be some out there who do. But, but if, you, if you do claim to have knowledge of the Bible for God's people, and then you claim that, that you, you've actually been charged by God to deliver it to people, then ex- that actually makes you more responsible then in delivering that message. God's message. You're to do it clearly and accurately, and and we must obey it as well. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said this, that to whom much is given, much will be required. 
much will be required. And so those of us who have God's Word certainly have much to be required. By the way, if you look at companion passages, we see that every Christian one day is going to stand before God in judgment. You're going to be held accountable for your life. We call it the, for the Christians, it's called the judgment seat of Christ, or in Greek, it's bima. Look at this, Romans 14, verse 12 says that each of us will give an account of himself to God. And of course, the us there in the context is referring to the church, the believers, the Christians are going to give an account. Your, your life will be open. And there's another passage of Scripture in Corinthians that, that gives the picture there in the Bible of judgment of, of all individual believers presenting their life's work to Christ, and it comes in the form of a building. Your life comes in the form of a building. See, the eternal foundation, friend, is, of course, Christ, but the, the structures of our lives are going to vary, just like houses are different throughout Hamilton, right? Uh, you know, some houses might be made of wood, others are made of other things, right? But, but the, the, in Corinthians it says some of these structures are made of gold and silver, precious stone. Others are made of both. And so each life is going to be subjected to the fire of Christ's judgment. And that fire is going to reveal everything. That's what it says. Look at here. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 12 says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation, that by the way, context says foundation is Christ, if you build on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, or the judgment. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this, friends, that judgment in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 3 is referring to the judgment seat of Christ for all believers. And so while all Christians are going to be there at the Bema, at that judgment, it's interesting, we, we see in James here that the professed teacher's are going to even go in, uh, are going to undergo a stricter, more serious, greater judgment. So be warned. God has warned you. There's a second reason, though. Not only is there the divine judgment, but number two, we're all sinners, <laughs> right? This is one of those messages that uh, that uh, I don't think any really any preacher likes to deliver because uh, my toes are already flat. I've already squashed them through the week. You know, God's been squashing me. Because the, the tongue, the tongue is, is such a thing. We're all guilty. We're all guilty, right? Including me. But look, look what verse two says. See, we, we all stumble in many ways. Every one of us. Isn't that interesting? And so if anybody does not stumble in what he says, well, then you're a perfect man. Perfect woman. By the way, nobody is except Jesus. But if you were perfect, then you'd be able to bridle your entire body, the whole body, control your whole body. And it's interesting that word stumble there just means you, you sin. 
we all sin in various ways. And, and in Greek, it's actually in the present tense, which is suggesting to us this is an ongoing, repeated stumbling. We keep stumbling over and over and over. And so what is James saying? Well, James is saying that we need to be careful about arrogantly assuming the position of teacher because everybody regularly sins in all sorts of ways. It's dangerous. Dangerous. In fact, just to, just to highlight this for you, I read a book several years ago, uh, several years ago called Dangerous Calling by a guy named Tripp. His last name's Tripp. And when I looked at the back, every single recommendation from celebrity pastors on the back had fallen and are no longer in the faith, except for one of them. One of them. Isn't that interesting? Very sad. So it's dangerous business. But there's a third reason why we need to be careful here. Because our words reveal our character. Jesus says your words reveal your character. When you read his Sermon on the Mount. It's interesting, you notice in verse 2, I mean, can you be a perfect man? The idea there is that you don't have any faults. Uh, Who is there that, that has no faults? And that means that you are complete. You are perfectly mature. The control of the tongue, by the way, is really good evidence of an extraordinary spiritual maturity. It it reveals what's inside you. In fact, the the mature man here is able to keep his whole body in check, James said. And so if if we could control our tongue, then we could control everything else in our lives. But sadly, we can't. And so let's look at some characteristics here of the tongue. What else can we learn about our tongue? Well, number two is the tongue. James says your tongue is powerful. Your tongue is powerful. That's what verses 3 to 5 is telling us. The tongue is small, right? Very little small member of your body, but it has great influence. And so James, the master illustrator James, gives us two illustrations here that make this point very clear, I think. Notice the first one, because he says, he describes your tongue like the bit of a horse. Now, not all of you ride horses, so, so bear with the illustration James is giving here. This illustration is, is, I think, a very appropriate one. Otherwise, it wouldn't be here. But that bit, my understanding is, I, I'm not an expert on this, okay? But I have talked to some people who, who know this. That, but, but notice the bit uh, lies on the top of the horse's tongue. At least that's where it's supposed to be. And, and when it's attached to the bridle and then the reins and then going to whoever the rider is, it's possible even... For a little girl to control a very large, powerful animal. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? The animal is far more powerful than that girl. Weighs far more. But yet all she's holding is that little leather strap. And with that, she can control the horse. That's the illustration God's giving us. The controlling the horse's mouths is, is then controlling their head, and in turn, you're controlling the entire body of the animal as well. James gives another illustration. He uses the illustration of the rudder of a ship. I know technically this is not a ship, 
but since the America's Cup is going on right now, and I, and I really enjoy the America's Cup, and I'm rooting for Team New Zealand, here you go. You get Team New Zealand photos of their boats. Uh, but notice in, in the photo, I hope you can see that good enough there, their rudder, by the way, is in the back right there. That little teeny black thing right there is the rudder of Team New Zealand's boat. And so what is the point of the illustration? Well, the point is that compared to the overall size of the boat or ship, rudders are incredibly small. And so God's using that to illustrate our tongue. You know, your tongue is small compared to your whole body, but the whoever is driving or piloting the boat or ship is then able to steer that where they want to. Incredible, isn't it? Very incredible. So that's the way your tongue is. You need to know that. There, there's a third lesson to be learned here, that the tongue is also destructive. It's destructive, and, and the illustration God uses is your tongue is like fire. And since your tongue is compared to fire, you probably notice here somebody's painting uh, one of the most destructive fires uh, in, in world history was, was called the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. 1871. Let me tell you about that. Because this is a good illustration. God's using fire to illustrate our, uh, just how destructive our tongue is. Any of you heard of the Great Chicago Fire? I'm curious. Oh, okay, some of you have. Did, did you hear the uh, how, how they think it started? Very interesting. See, on October 8, 1871, and it was about 8.30 in the evening, old Mrs. O'Leary walked into her barn with her lantern. And she walked into her barn to milk the cows. <laughs> Back in the days, right? Ever done it by hand? It's, anyway, so that's what she was going in to do. And presumably, the cow kicked over the lantern ignited the great Chicago fire. And before that fire could be contained, as far as we know, there was over 17,000 buildings burnt down, 300 people died, and 125,000 people were left homeless. Imagine that. The entire city of Hamilton. Can you imagine that? Being homeless. Totally devastating. The point is, friends, God says fire is dangerous and it's destructive and he's comparing your tongue to fire. It's dangerous. It's destructive. You can say, okay, that, that's great, but in what ways is my tongue destructive? Well, let me just give you some of what Jerry Bridges would call the respectable sins. <laughs> respectable sins are often the ones dealing with our tongue. And the first one is gossip. Gossip can be very destructive. That's why God calls it sin. Well, what is gossip? Well, gossip is just saying behind a person's back what you would never actually say directly to their face. Now, you never say this directly to their face. No, you, you're saying it when they're not there and they can't hear it. It often it hides itself in acceptable ways, by the way. It's in our, it's in our conversations when when you kind of you know, you know you kind of snuggle up to someone, you kind of get close to the ear, and, and you say, "Hey, did you hear?" Or you might say, "Well, did you know?" And then you proceed to tell a story. Or, or you know, you, you might say something like, "Well, they tell me 
and you're just passing on something you've heard, or, you know, uh, you know, keep this to yourself, but, right, whenever you hear the but part, then maybe that's a good time to cut the conversation off. Or we might say, uh, well, you know, I don't believe it's true, but I did hear this. Well, if you don't believe it, then why pass it on, right? But you need to understand, friends, the most infamous rationalization in Christian circles often is, Hey, I, I, I'm telling you this so that you can pray for this individual. Don't rationalize your sin by saying, well, let's pray for them, okay? Gossip is a tool of hell. Dangerous. Destructive. Another way that we can use our tongue to be destructive is through flattery. Flattery. <laughs> My pastor warned me a long time ago, beware of the flatterer. Beware of the flatterer. Man, it is so true. They're the ones, the flatterers are the ones who come up and kiss you and stab you in the back. Right? Just like Judas did to Jesus. You say, well, what's flattery? Well, that's actually saying to a person's face what you would never tell someone else. You would never tell that, you know, to somebody else because it sounds so nice. It's dangerous. Another way you can use your tongue to be destructive is through criticism. And that can take many forms, but it's, it's something that's motivated by wrong reasoning. It's often motivated by self-doubt and jealousy. And you become very critical in the process. One that's very near and dear to me and has hurt me deeply over the years is slander. Slander, I hate it. It's evil, it's wicked. And this is just when you, you're, you're uttering false charges or you're misrepresenting somebody, uh, which then ends up damaging that person's reputation. The book of Proverbs says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And that is true. So beware of slander. Now, some of you might find this next one a bit, uh, you say, what, what, what about this one? <laughs> Sarcasm, particularly sarcastic humor. Some of us like it more than others. But if you've been on the receiving end, it's, it's often very painful. Beware. Beware. Your tongue can be destructive even through sarcastic humor. You may not be intending to be destructive to someone, but intentions aren't everything. You understand? Tensions aren't everything. What are you actually accomplishing through that humor? Okay, moving on. Uh, boasting can be destructive. Uh, may not be destructive to you, but I, I, I think it often is, but it certainly can be destructive to other people. So God says we're to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's something worthy of boasting in, but not ourselves. Uh, the last one's kind of obvious, blasphemy. It's another way to be that the tongue can be destructive. And you say, what is blasphemy? Well, the Bible calls, uh, it says it's, it's when you call evil good and good evil. That's blasphemy. Uh, for example, uh, another way the Bible puts it is when you actually attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. That's, that's a form of blasphemy. Uh, you've blasphemed if you've done that. 
Uh, you could put it the, kind of another way when, you're, when you actually attribute the work of Satan himself to the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? So it goes both ways. So that's, a, that's what blasphemy is, so beware, it's destructive. But why is the tongue destructive? Verse 6 tells us four important points about why the tongue is destructive. First of all, notice what the Holy Spirit says. Your tongue is a world of unrighteousness. You see that in verse 6? Your tongue is a world of unrighteousness. And the word world there, is, it's not referring to the earth but it's referring to the world's system, the system you live in. It's a, it's a system of evil. In other words, it's a source of ungodly behavior within sinful mankind. That's what it means there. Why is the tongue destructive? Number two, it's an evil. The, the evil tongue stains your entire body, the whole body. How does that happen? Well, the system of evil we live in is spreading out. It then contaminates the entire body, God says. And so the tongue is kind of like smoke, right? You ever had your clothes, uh, you've been by, maybe say you've had a fire, a bonfire, and you're maybe roasting hot dogs and marshmallows or whatever, and, and uh, of course, you know, it doesn't matter where you stand, the smoke's always going to follow you, right? That's how it works. It's Murphy's Law, right? And so, so you're going to get smoke on your clothes, you may not be able to smell it, but someone else will who hasn't been there. And so the smoke penetrates, it permeates the clothing. And, and everything it, it touches is, is then smelly of smoke. And God's saying that the, the tongue is like that. It stains the entire body. But there's a third reason the tongue is destructive. Look at verse 6 again. It says he, that the evil tongue sets on fire the course of our life. So just like a physical fire that God's compared it to, the effects of our evil speech influences then everything else in our life. It influences everything else. So beware, friends. And the last one concerns me greatly. Number four there in verse six, it says that the sinful tongue is set on fire by hell. Now that's the Greek word Gehenna. If you know anything about Gehenna, Jesus is the one who taught the most about that place, Gehenna. So, so your English word hell is the Greek word Gehenna. Now here's what one helpful commentator said. Quote, it literally means the valley of Hinnom. So when Jesus was teaching, in other words, when Jesus taught about Gehenna, or hell, there, there was a literal place outside the walls of Jerusalem that everybody could picture and smell. And here, here's what the commentator goes on to say. He says, it literally means the Valley of Hinnom, which was a deep gorge southwest of Jerusalem where trash, garbage, and the bodies of dead animals and executed criminals were dumped and continually burned. The, the, the location had originally been used by Canaanite and even some Israelite worshipers to sacrifice their children as burnt offerings to the pagan god Molech. So when that heinous practice was permanently halted by the godly king Josiah, the place was considered to be unclean and wholly unfit for any decent usage. It therefore came to be used as a garbage dump where all the filth of the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas was taken to be burned. Because the fire burned all the time and maggots were always present, the Lord Jesus Christ used Gehenna 
to represent the eternal, never-ending torment of hell. End quote. And the Holy Spirit says, that's the source of your tongue? And that's why it's destructive. Well, there's another lesson we can learn here. James says, number four, the tongue is uncontrollable and untamable. That's what he says. Uncontrollable and untamable. So notice he says it's something that is wild. Your tongue is wild. It's undisciplined. Your tongue is irresponsible. It's savage, in fact. It combats every effort to control it. It doesn't want to be controlled. It doesn't want you to direct it and guide it. And the Holy Spirit here says that every kind of animal, not necessarily every animal, but every kind of animal, he says, that has walked or flown, as well as the ones that crawl and swim, God says those have been tamed by man. All those animals have been tamed and controlled by man. I'll give you some examples here. Animals from each of the various categories uh, in our world have been tamed by the human race. You have animals that are considered wild. Some are very smart. Some are fast. Some are powerful. Some are very elusive. But they've been controlled. They've been tamed. You say, well, what kind of animals has mankind tamed? Let me give you some pictures here. You'll get the point, okay? How about killer whales, or what you might call orca? Any of you ever gone to see a show where the orca or killer whales have been tamed and controlled, at least to a point where, I mean, they get them to jump out of the water, to do flips, to do, to talk to the audience, to get the audience wet? Yeah, I've experienced that one. They purposely make the orca jump and splash, and there's a splash section where you can get wet if you want to. But the, the point is they've been controlled at least to a certain point. They've been tamed to a certain point. Here's another example. How about lions and tigers? Even, uh, you know, it's funny the sort of things they get them to do. Jump through hoops, right? Even sit up and act like little kitty cats. Right? They've been controlled to a certain point where they sometimes they do what they're supposed to. <laughs> Not always. Uh, here's another one. How about eagles and falcons? Uh, sometimes the the master of that falcon, for example, can can get can get the falcon to go out and uh, and uh, maybe even kill a rabbit or something, and then or a bird or whatever, and then and bring it back. Yeah, over the years they've been controlled. Now here's a big, powerful animal. How about elephants? You ever seen elephants controlled and tamed to a point where they can do work for human beings? I mean, can are you able to move a tree all by yourself? without a digger or a tractor, right? When you don't have diggers and tractors, you use elephants, right, in some parts of the world. And that's what they do. And, and they, they can be used for that because they are tameable to a certain point. And God's using the illustrations here. All these various types of animals and creatures, human beings have controlled. But he says your tongue is uncontrollable. Wow. Doesn't that hurt? And you say, well, why is that? Why is that? Well, actually, God gives you two reasons in verse 8. <laughs> I'm glad you asked the question because he answers that in verse 8. And the first reason God gives you is he, he says the tongue is a restless evil. 
that word restless is suggesting the idea of a wild animal that is fighting fiercely against its restraints in its captivity. It doesn't like its captivity, doesn't want to be there, it wants out, it wants to be free, and your tongue is like that. And that evil chafes at its confinement. It's always seeking a way to escape. You say, why is that? Why? Well, this evil tongue wants to spread its deadly poison. It has a deadly poison, and it wants to spread it. Look what God says. That's your second reason, by the way. The tongue is full of deadly poison, and its poison, by the way, is more deadly than a snake's because a a snake can only affect you physically. But God says the tongue can affect you morally, socially, economically, and spiritually. And that's why it's full of deadly poison. A fifth lesson to be learned about our tongues here from James is the tongue is inconsistent. It's inconsistent. That's verses 9 through 12. We see, notice what God says. It's from the same source. Your tongue comes both blessings and cursings. What do you do with your tongue? At one moment, you can be praising God. You can be worshiping God with your tongue. And then, as soon as you leave the church service, you go sit in your vehicle, and you have roast preacher for lunch. You say, I would never do that. Okay, well, maybe you don't, but too many people are going to be doing that right about now in some churches. But that's what we do. We, we criticize somebody. And we might even criticize someone who's, who's had a prayer request in, in church. You know, they, why did that person have to say that? Or whatever, right? I mean, do you see the point? You see the point? The tongue is not just wild like an animal, but our, our tongues are very clever. They're plotting, they're deceptive, they're treacherous. It's hypocritical. And it's hypocritical and and, and eagerly willing, in fact, to deceive in order for what purpose? It wants to achieve its own advantage. But notice God says in verse 10, These things ought not to be so. Your tongue shouldn't be doing that, in other words. (laughs) And so James' point is clear, I hope that a Christian's tongue should not be consistently praising God. Uh, uh, Sorry, it should be doing that. Uh, Here's the point. All right, let me rephrase that. Your tongue, Christians, should be consistently praising God and loving people. Right? The two great commandments. Jesus said, love God and love people. Your tongue should be doing that. And in verses 11 and 12, James actually turns to some other illustrations here. To illustrate his point, notice notice you should be anticipating a negative response because those are rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions are just the obvious answer. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? What's the answer? No. <laughs> the obvious answer is no. Uh, James also gives you another question. He says, can a fig tree bear olives? And the obvious answer is, no. <laughs> no, it can't do that. And the third illustration James gives you is, can a grapevine bear figs? No, is the answer. And so what's the point? The point is a believer's tongue should not be an instrument of inconsistency. It should be consistent. It shouldn't be hypocritical. Well, let's just be honest. Be honest. 
are you one of those people who's skilled in religious vocabulary, so at church you appear like somebody who is godly and holy, but at home you're what you're just one of those very sarcastic, critical, destructive people with your tongue, that is. Uh, do you enjoy the gossip at work around the water cooler? Do you have a water cooler at work? I know some businesses don't. I know when I used to work at LIC, we somebody jokingly put an empty plastic bottle on the wall. There wasn't actually one there, but um, anyway, it was a place of conversation. Let's put it that way, right? A lot of New Zealand businesses have these water coolers, and what do people, they come and, you know, there's these conversations. Everybody just downloads or uploads, depending on your perspective, on all the negative stuff happening in the workplace. Are you one of those people just gossiping around the water cooler at work? What's your answer to those kind of questions? And by the way, would the answers to those questions give the lie to your profession of love for God? Would they? You say, okay, I'm guilty. James, James says we're all guilty. So what do I do about it? Let me give you some hope, okay? <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Well, if you look at uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6, he had an issue with his tongue. He admits it, in fact, in Isaiah chapter 6. He admits he has an issue with his tongue. And I've given you scripture on the screen here. But the first thing that J or, or Isaiah says is, what, what do we do with the tongue? And how do, you, how do you come to this conclusion? Is You have to see the king. You have to see the king. And, and we're, we're never going to see our sin as God sees it, until you, you're actually looking at the right standard. You have to look at the right standard. And so look what Isaiah saw in chapter 6, verse 5. The prophet Isaiah said this, Woe is me, for I am lost. Notice he doesn't say, I'm such a good person. No, he didn't say that. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, his tongue is unclean. It's dirty. How did he come to that conclusion? Oh, by the way, notice he says, I even dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And how he got there is the next phrase. He says, For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. He saw Yahweh. So first of all, you have to see the King. Number two, we then confess our sin and repent of our sin, whatever that sin with your tongue is. Again, a, a, a verse 5, may I repeat it, it says, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So what's he doing? He's confessing his sin, and, and, and as well as his fellow Israelites, and he's repenting of his sin, which is appropriate when you sin. This is what God wants us to do. Good illustration of it. And third, then you ask God to destroy your wicked mouth. Not literally, but figuratively. Right? So look what happens here. Because God sends a seraphim, an angel. And it says that one of those seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal 
that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth figuratively to destroy that evil. It, it, the idea is it's a picture of destroying the evil that is there. The, the sin is being cauterized. So hopefully it would stop. And then fourth, we need to submit to God's cleansing. Look at verse 7. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So God does for you that you what you could never do for yourself, friends. Your guilt is atoned for. It's dealt with in Christ Jesus. You have to submit to that. If you resist that, there is no atonement for your sin. Right? It doesn't come to you automatically. And then fifth, then you can prepare to serve. You can prepare to serve. Look at verse 8 of Isaiah 6. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. But notice that verse doesn't come first. You, 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 there's a progression, a natural progression here. You don't come to the serving part without recognizing who you are and how God sees you, and then you have to repent and confess. There has to be a submission to God's cleansing in your life before you come to the point where you're able to be a clean vessel, useful for God. And then number six, we must pray. And, and we must pray regularly. We must pray specifically. We must pray consistently. Right? The Bible, in fact, tells us to, to don't, don't cease doing this 24-7. Right? It should be a continuous thing in our life where we, we're doing this. And then last of all, we must resolve to discipline ourselves. The Bible calls this the principle of replacement. Very helpful principle. The principle of replacement, or you might call it put off, put on, as James Four said, or not James, but Ephesians 4. So here's the principle of replacement coming from Ephesians 4, particularly in regard to what we say. Look what, look what God commands us to do here. Negative and a positive command. First of all, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So there's your standard. It's a high and lofty one, isn't it? Impossible, by the way, <laughs> uh, without God's enabling. You'll never fully get there on your own. But notice the negative command. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Corrupting talk is the, is the stuff that tears people down. It's the opposite of what God says there. Instead of grace and edification of people, it's is stuff that's tearing them down. It's not helping them. It's destroying them. And as we saw earlier, James says our tongues are able to destroy. But God wants our tongues to give grace to those who hear. So friends, here's your, your main idea. What, what does God want you to do today? So, so, so as soon as you stand up out of your seats today, your tongue, just, just remember, your tongue is incredible. It has great influence. And so God wants the mature believer to control their tongue. He wants you to control your tongue. 
by the enabling of the Holy Spirit, you can do that. You can do that. So as soon as you stand up and words start coming out of your mouth, get ready. Because your flesh is coming for you. Your indwelling sin knows how powerful and destructive your tongue is. Is it going to minister grace to the hearer? Be ready. You need to be thinking. You need to be praying, right? As we just saw, be ready. But there is hope. Because God can use your tongue for grace purposes. May He enable you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we understand what our tongue is like. Yeah, it's little, but it is so powerful and destructive. It can have an influence for both good and evil, and so may we understand that, and, and may we seek You to enable us to control it. May we not have corrupting talk coming out of our mouths, but may our words minister grace to the hearer. May they be edifying and building up and loving to those who are hearing it. Would you cause us to be spiritually mature people who love you and love people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.